Welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have a wonderful, wonderful guest today. It's an inspirational story of resilience, really. And he's just a, one of my heroes because of you know his journey, his life journey, his energy. It's Art Valdez. Thank you so much for being here today, Art. Martin, thanks for having me, man. We, we talked about this for a few months, and uh, you know, uh, here we are. We're, we're we're getting it done. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think we we talked about this uh, even before I even thought about doing the podcast. You, you, I I told you that I kind of threw it out there, and you said yes yeah, so if it ever comes to fruition. That you'd love to do it. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, man, and and your vision has actually come to fruition. So um, you know, and uh, you're definitely setting the pace on your end, man. So good stuff. So I'm gonna get into this. Um, you know, Art, just tell me, um, where were you born and raised, and yeah, where were you born and raised? And, you know, uh, what was your family dynamics like when you were growing up? Yeah, so I was I was actually born on a Marine Corps base. I was born in 29 Palms, California. Uh, my father was in the Marine Corps at the time. Um, yeah, he and my mom, they were, you know, married. And uh, um, when I was a baby, my dad, you know, successfully discharged from Marine Corps. And then we moved to Watsonville, which is, you know, where everybody's from. So Watsonville, Moss Landing, uh, Santa Cruz, Monterey County area. Um, and this is, you know, pretty much where I, where I grew up and, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, growing up, you don't think it's, it's the place to be, but now that as I'm older, like I realize, like, you know what, I'm glad I grew up in this, on, on the central coast, man. So yeah. it, it's, it's quite nice, you know, wasn't a city boy, but, uh, you know, definitely, um, you know, come, come from a background of roots where, uh, you know, my, uh, my father worked the fields, you know, growing up. I mean, he wasn't all, you know, they weren't biceps or anything like that, but man, they were, you know, they were working, you know, when they were kids, you know, that was the thing. And the only way out really was to join the military, you know, back in, back in the you know, 60s and 70s, you know, so, um, you know, my mom, she came from humble beginnings as well. You know, she worked in the, in the fields in cannery and, um, and, funny thing about my mom she she actually retired from cdc herself so she became a correctional officer later on in her you know in her in her midlife you know yes and then retired from that but yeah man so santa cruz county watsonville you know that was and and you have you have a pretty good your, your history is pretty amazing too you you went to you majored at sac state in political communication you're you're very much a community leader now You've been in government government service for over 20 years, and you're doing a lot of stuff outreach in the community. And I know, like you're like a life a lifelong athlete. You've played soccer and basketball and jujitsu and judo and CrossFit. You've done just about everything. I know you're a proud father too. So, um, when you were growing up, were you playing sports? Yeah, I mean, you know, you know, I grew up as an only child. I have I have a half brother. It's my dad's son, and you know, he was never you know. And my dad never brought him around and uh so it was just you know you know my mother my father and myself and uh you know i needed an outlet man i had a lot of energy uh growing up and um you know i remember i remember you know going into judo when i was like nine years old and then it was um you know going into baseball at an early age playing soccer and then you know i wanted to try off of football and so um you know then you know, I just wanted to get my hands on everything, you know, and uh, I think it was just a perfect outlet for somebody like myself who who grew up pretty much as an only only child. You know, I had friends in the neighborhood, um, but, you know, for the most part, yeah, I was I was I was really busy growing up, man. Um, and I, I, I credit my mom for 
making sure that I was involved in in uh, a lot of activities and being exposed uh, to many of those things like sports because you know that's that's a great place to to shape and build your character, you know. And what and who were your role models growing up? Was it your mom and dad? Who were you close to when you were growing up? You know, um, you know, I, my mother, you know, naturally, but my mother was, you know, you know, my mom and I were very close, and um, you know, my dad, you know he was a disciplinary, you know, he was a Marine. So, you know, there was, you know, there was this um, callousness, this coldness, this, you know, um, you know, I could honestly say, I mean, I could have expected more from father, but man, he was there to, he was there to, to, to whip me into shape when I was getting out of line or out of pocket, you know? And, um, but yeah, man, I think it was just, it was my mom. And then, you know, outside of that, you know, I had, I had some, some family that, you know, my, my aunt, my mom's sister, and then my uncle on my dad's side, you know, um, you know, but I think for the most part, mom, you know, she was the one. And what, what kind of stuff did your mom teach you? You said it is your close to your mom and what kind of, it sounds like she was a, a somebody very important in your life. What kind of things and lessons did she teach you when you're growing up? I think just getting involved, um, staying engaged, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things where, you know, my mom went just to, she would, she would reiterate to me, you know, you speak up for yourself. Um, you know, just don't, just don't take, you know, just don't take an answer like a no and just, you know, just, you know, you know, fight your way through it. You know what I mean? Just kind of, um, you know, she, she taught me a lot of lessons, man. A lot about love too. You know, she didn't get a lot of, she didn't get a lot of uh, love from, from her mom they they had a big family and uh my mother's father my grandfather passed away when she was 14 so with my grandmother having you know seven daughters you know there's only so much love and affection that that is uh, allotted to each and every you know sibling and my mom gave me you know or wanted to ensure that i was given a lot of love and you know and and focus and attention which I think transcends over to my, my sons now, you know, I went to her is more than likely why I'm, I feel like I'm a, I'm, I'm a good father, you know? And after like, uh, during your high school years, um, were you still, were you still involved with sports and how, how were you doing in school and what was your kind of focus during that time? Did you know what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah. I mean, um, sports kind of narrowed down <clears throat> for me uh just football i just wanted to play football and then i was involved in music uh started djing at an early age and playing around there you know 13 14 years old just dabbling and then um you know my mom had actually put me in piano lessons when i was 12 and i wasn't too like you know at first i was like okay you know but you know my dad was a was you know he played a lot of uh, musical instruments so you know, I kind of think I got that musical vibe on my from my dad's side. And um, when I got into piano lessons, uh, my piano instructor, he had a synthesizer. So I was intrigued right away with digital sound and synthesizers and, and, uh, um, and then, you know, getting into DJing and kind of like segue into each other, they just kind of fit well with each other. So I started learning how to play all these, you know, songs and classical songs, and I started to play things by ear. And um, that was really what my passion was, is when I was in high school, I really thought I was going to, you know, uh, be this, 
you know, uh, boy band, rock star, whatever, you know, got into singing and uh, we won some talent shows and uh, we thought we were, we thought we were pretty good. You know, I look back at some of the videotapes and I'm just kind of shake my head, go, you know, but you're young and you have dreams. And, you know, I think, you know, every young person should, should aspire to have those dreams. And uh, it's what keeps you going, I guess, you know, at that age. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the thing, man. I was uh, leaving high school and I didn't know what I wanted to do, but music. So I became a music major at first and that's what I was, uh, studying. I went to community college out here in Salinas. And then uh, from there, uh, one of my friends or one of my best friends from Watsonville, his name's Andy Vargas. He's a, he's a lead singer for Carlos Santana still to this day. He's been with him for over 20 years. And uh, as soon as he graduated, he moved down to like Santa Barbara area. He got, you know, he was, he was, um, he was commingling with a lot of people in the music business. And, you know, he'd been singing since he was a young kid. But anyway, so um, he introduced me to some people down in, in LA. Uh, I think the guy's name was like Bruce Johnston and um, some other. He was they were he was Christina Aguilera's uh, executive producer. And we were in the studio and he's like, you know, we were talking about majors and and this kind of thing. And um, I said, you know, I don't know uh, if I should major in music and stay with that, or should I like maybe go into something else? And and uh, you know, I thought about going to law school and you know, oh, it was Ron Fair. That's the guy's name, Ron Fair. He was like, that's, that's what you, that's what you got to do, man. You need to, you need to go to law school. You know, if you're going to be in the music business and you're talented, your talents are going to, are going to, are going to, you know, they're going to, they're going to take its own course, right? Your talents. But if you have the background, you know, that's how you're going to survive in this business. So I was like, man, I thought about it. And so when I got to, okay, so I went to San Francisco state before I got to Sac state. So before I got to San Francisco state, I actually changed my major from music to political communication. And uh, that's where things kind of started to shift for me, you know, um, at that point. Did you, did you, um, so you were DJing at a time and you've been, a, you, you've, yeah. been a DJ, you've been a DJ, what, over 20 years or no, 30 years. Oh, right? 30 right? years. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you were a very successful DJ. I mean, you were always busy as, as far as I can recall. Yeah. I mean, um, DJing has so many different layers to it you know there's, there's there's folks that want to get into radio djing and then there's um people that want to get into clubs and, and that was more me back in those days um actually when i was living in san francisco uh saint john from it was wild 107 back in the day and saint john actually hired me on as an intern and uh so i was at wild 107 at the time and that's when like they had jv and the doghouse and all those people were there and um I, dude i was only there for like I was only there for like two weeks and I lived in Daly city at the time. I went to San Francisco state and just to give from San Francisco state to downtown San Francisco. Um, it wasn't my thing, man. I, I mean, I come from a suburban, you know, coastal, you know, to, and it, it took me a while to get downtown. It, it popped me, it popped me out of market street. Then I'd have to walk. I don't know how many blocks to get to the station. And I was like, man, this ain't for me, man. So I, uh, I, I gracefully bowed out and, uh, you know, I found something else to do when I was out there. I was actually working for Wells Fargo Bank um, when I was there. So I started, so my buddy Andy, the one that's from Santana, his mom hired me at Wells Fargo Bank in Watsonville. And that's where I started. And then I transferred to the San Francisco branch. I was working at the uh, Mission in Geneva branch. And uh, that's where, like, you know, I was working part-time. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And um, 
I met some more dudes in the music business, man. I met a guy named Armando Rosales. He's like After Dark Studios. Um, he was producing, um, uh, remixing um, uh, uh, songs for um, singer. Her name was Angelina. And then it was uh, another one, uh, Spanish Fly, uh, Milo and Octaviano. And, and I go into the studio and I'm like, man, this is where I need to be, right? And, you know, I'm, I'm studying, I'm studying uh, political communication and I'm still kind of like attached to this music thing. And, uh, you know, and I'm still DJing. So I was like, man, this, this is kind of cool. This is kind of where, this is my wheelhouse right now. And, uh, you know, you try to, you try to live that out as long as you can. And then you, you realize, okay, wh what am I doing here? You know, like my, is this, is this gonna, is this gonna, uh, you know, I, you know, what, what type of life did I want to live? I started thinking about those things. Cause I've been in college already for like three years. You know, I was a community college for, for the three years and I got to San Francisco state and I was going into my fourth year, you know, junior year. Right. And I'm like, you know, I'm on like the six year, you know, bachelor, you know, bachelor, uh, bachelor degree plan. Right. And, you know, it's like, it's taking me longer to get this degree. And, um, so let me ask you this, Arjo, you, yeah, yeah. you were always during this time. I don't think I've ever seen you not super motivated to, achieving your goals you always have a lot of energy you're always a non-stop person mm -hmm. were you working out and, and like you always were doing some type of workout and some fitness stuff always yeah so what kind of fitness stuff were you doing then at that time yeah i mean i still i still um you know i still remember you know going down you know down by the san francisco golden gate you know running running up and down those hills you know i lived in daily city so they had some pretty nice hills out there joined a gym um, so I was always, I was always either in a gym or, or doing something, you know, um, you know, the thing about like, you know, back to my dad, he was always, he was a runner. So my dad would, you know, he was consistently running. And, uh, I think that's kind of where, like, you know, I got that, that, you know, being in sports and then seeing my dad, you know, do it when he got home from work or whatever. And, um, you know, I built my own gym, you know, at home, you know, remember those old school cement weights and with just a pipe and. Um, so when I got when I got to the college, uh, when I left home for the first time, you know, I just I just kind of kept that going. It's just always been a part of me. Yeah. And it's, it's yeah, it seems like one of the things I know about you is that you always are doing something, whether it's doing long distance running, um, just always doing uh, something athletic. You never, never, ever stop. And which I really, really think is amazing because you just, you just, you're, you're just constantly Martin. going. Can, can you hear us? Okay. Sorry can about you? that. I, I think you can hear us now. One sec here. Uh oh. Hmm. One second. And we're having a little technical difficulty. Turn this bad boy up. Let's see what's up. Turn your mic on, mic off. Okay. So we're yeah, having no sound. A, let me let me try speakerphone here. Have a little bit of technical di difficulty, so maybe you can log YouTube. in and log out. Let's unconnect. disconnect here real quick sorry about this martin I, I i can't hear you but my apologies 
Hold on one second, man. Somebody called me. Punch in, punch out. Can you hear me? Do you hear us, Art? Can you hear us? One, two. Holy moly, man. This thing is a, uh... let's go beat. Can you hear us? One, two. There we go. It's, okay. it's uh, you know, I got a call from somebody right now and and then it uh, yeah, broke me down. Sorry a... about that, man. Yeah, sorry that's about okay. that. That's okay. So this is where you so chop you... and edit, right? You cut it up. Yes, yes. Do, do so, your fine edits and cuts? Okay. Um, so, so I think, um, so, you were really, really into sports. I know you were doing you were you were doing all types of sports, running and lifting, and uh, your jujitsu and all these different activities. And I know you went into government service after you left um, Sac State, and you really, really got into the community side of that. And the job that you had is, is a very, very physical job. And one of the things I really, really love about your story is because I know how dedicated you are as an athlete and how dedicated you are to, to work and doing a great job in, in your position. It kind I know that, that you had kind of a hiccup along that, along your journey. And can you go into how that transpired? And I know you, like I said, you were, you were doing amazing things in the job and you still are. And that kind of like was a little, a little uh, speed bump in some way for you. How did mm -hmm. that transpire? And, and we can go into the, you know, exactly how you dealt with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'll answer that, right. I'm going to, I'm going to back you up just a little bit. Cause I, I forgot to mention too, when I was, when I was 15, I went to this, uh, and this all kind of has to, a lot to do with, you know, where my mindset is at. Right. So, you know, my dad being a Marine and raising me and, and me being around my uncles and kind of pretty structured family. Um, as far as the discipline part went. Um, and when I was 15, uh, I went down to uh, uh, the devil, it was a devil pup uh, Marine Corps boot camp when I was 15. And it was, it was, the, it was the coolest thing, man. I thought, right. It was 10 days of just straight boot camp, And uh, you know, I got a real good taste of uh, what uh, military could be like at that age. It left an impression on me. And um, I left there 
you know, uh, in those 10 days, man, I left there, you know, feeling a lot different. I felt like I had changed a little bit and my perspectives changed. And uh, that was one of the best experiences that I think I could have had as an adolescent. Um, fast forwarding to, you know. But, but in, I, in what way, in what way, Art, like you said, you learned some lessons. What lessons did you learn? Yeah, I mean, you know, with, with football, with sports, with, you know, uh, Taekwondo, Judo, with doing all these things. I mean, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of, you know, there's, there's um, you know, days that you don't want to go. Um, the, 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 the physical pain, the, you know, you know, you know, getting your ass kicked in Taekwondo is you're, you're sparring with older kids and, or adults. And you're, you know, you're getting your ass kicked in football. Um, you know, getting up early in the morning, like soup, like four in the morning, five in the morning, going to these special trainings and, and then, you know, then doing this under a, you know, going to the devil buzz and going into a structured environment like that. And then really, you know, you're by yourself, you're, you're away from home and you're, 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 you know, you, you put all those things that you had accumulatively um, were involved in growing up and you kind of just put it all together when, when you're, when you, when you get older, you know, and, um, but that's where the mindset, I guess, sort of comes from, right? That's the, um, the pain, the, you know, did I, you know, I lived through this today. I got through it. Not a big deal. And then, okay, let's go, let's, let's, let's go get some more tomorrow. And then let's go get some more the next day. And then you get to this, you get to this point when you're like, oh man, I, I just don't want to do this. But then you go again and again and again, and then you start, you just start layering up. Your, your mind is, is getting stronger. Um, when it comes to the ability to push your, push yourself mentally, physically, right? You start to look past these, um, these things that we, we, we think about, you know, pain. Like you, you talked about a thumbnail, uh, hangnail. You're like, oh man, this thing's just ruining my day. But no, you look past the, you know, you, you let everything else outside of you go and you just, you know, what your, where your target is, is at, it's in front of you and you're just trying to get there in a straight line. And, um, if you got to go under around over it, you're just trying to get there, you know, whatever, whatever your, your, um, your interest is or whatever your task is or whatever you're trying to achieve, you just want to get there. And that's where kind of this whole mindset thing comes from, man. It just comes from, you know, everybody's got a different experience growing up, but I think, you know, um, if you've had a hardship or if you had something um, where you've had to do some real difficult things and overcome them, um, you got some choices you can make. And uh, fortunately for me, there was, I was exposed to that at an early age. Um, and I've read somewhere where, you know, where, um, you know, I don't want to say these are traumas, but yeah, you know, it, you know, my family issues growing up around my parents, but I mean, it's probably these things that, you know, you've had traumas growing up or you've been through some sort of, you know, difficult task or thing uh, growing up, uh, you're stronger for it in your adulthood life. So then, so then kind of set the scene. I know you were kind of like at the pinnacle at work. You were doing very, uh, doing a, a, a lot of community stuff at work and you were in top physical condition. I actually, I remember actually speaking with you probably had to be about, God, a month and a half before, um, you know, what we're going to talk about transpired. And you were, hey, hey, uh, and you were telling me, hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this and all really, really like top of the line physical stuff. You were doing CrossFit, 
So what kind of happened and how did it happen? And, and then how did you kind of go through that process? If you can go over that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, um, you know, I was a correctional officer and became a pro agent and, you know, um, you know, man, in that process, there's a lot of transformation that happens when you're working in that type of environment. And, um, it can go either way for people, man. It can go good or bad. Um, but you surround yourself around uh, mentally strong people and, um, you know, you, you absorb that, right? You, 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 you pick that up and you're like, oh man, this is my wheelhouse. This is what I want to be around. And, um, you know, the, the, the continuation of, of trying to stay in condition and, 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 uh, that's all, that's all personal. A lot of it's just personal, you know, you know what the benefits are at the end of the day. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, I think just, um, so what, so what, what, if you could talk about what happened mm -hmm. and how you found out and, you know, yeah, what, yeah. what was the process like and what, what sports were you doing when you found out? Yeah. So during that time, so in 2013, um, I got into CrossFit. I was, you know, doing other things. I was, uh, you know, I, I was doing jujitsu and because of you, you know, I got into jujitsu and, uh, I was out at Claudio Franza's out in Santa Cruz for a little bit. And, uh, and that was fun. Um, it's just like my work schedule couldn't, you know, couldn't, didn't match up. So I had to try something else. I did, uh, that Krav Maga out there in San Jose and just trying to stay into something. Right. Um, and, uh, I heard about CrossFit and uh, I had uh, transferred actually out of San Jose where I was working and I transferred down to Santa Cruz and um, you know, that gave me two hours of my life back every day, which was commuting to San Jose and commuting back. It, it gave me, you know, two hours of my life back, which was huge. So, you know, I, uh, I had time to, to join CrossFit club and I started doing that. And man, I fell in love with it immediately. Um, I felt like, you know, shoot, it's one hour, high intensity. And man, I, I became a, I became a CrossFit junkie. Right. And I was having so much fun doing it, man. And then one day it was like November, it was like mid October, November of 2013. Um, I thought I had, um, I thought I had sciatica. I didn't know what that was. But I thought I had sciatica, like I thought something happened in my lower back and my left leg was starting to feel some pain. And the pain was just radiating up and down, like down to my foot and my toes. So naturally I go to the doctor, um, diagnoses it as such, sciatica, but something else is going on. Um, my foot is numb, um, pain is in my calf, it's in my upper thigh, it's just kind of everywhere. And um my foot starts to get cold and this is over the course of like eight weeks ten weeks around that time and don't know what's going on but i'm losing blood flow in my left foot so i'm still going to work man i'm not i'm not calling in sick nothing i'm going to work and um and i'm, I'm working at, and working out too you continue your work yeah and i was still working out yeah i, I just try to keep it going and I was sleeping on the couch, like upright, like, you know, I was, I couldn't sleep in my bed. I was just sleeping upright. And I'm like, man, this pain's going to go away eventually, you know? And 
don't know what it is. So the doctor gives me some some medication to help with the nerves. He gives me like gabapentin. I think it's for nerves or whatnot. Shit, that stuff's not working. And uh, my supervisor at the time, like seeing me hobbling around the office and he's like, he's going to talk to our administrators like, hey, man, Art's, you know, hobbling around the office. We need to, this guy needs to take some time off. And before that could happen, I go and see another doctor. They do the, um, what is it that when they put you in the, is it the MRI or was it when they, when they put you in that, that little circular, man, I forget the name of it, but they put you in there and they give you this dye and they go in there and they could see that I had like three blood clots, like two down in the foot and then one above my, um, um, above my, into my thigh area. So I got these three blood clots and when they get the results, uh, I'm in, I'm in the lobby and, and they tell me, go straight to emergency. Don't go anywhere else. Go straight to emergency and, um, and they'll take care of you there. I'm like, I was like, man, straight to emergency, man. I go to the hospital and uh, tell them who I am and I don't even wait in the lobby. They have people that come out and they bring me in right away, lay me on the bed and they start poking me. And like five, 10 minutes after that, uh, the doctor, uh, the surgeon comes in and he tells me, we're gonna try to save your foot. And I'm like, you know, I walked into this place, right? And I'm like, save my foot. So, you know, it's not really, you know, it doesn't bother me because it's gonna get better. You know, I'm a very optimistic person. It's gonna get better. You know, it'll, it'll be fine. Okay, save my foot. Whatever you gotta do, fix it, right? So I go in and get these angiograms done and they don't put you to sleep, but they give you, they give you pain while you're getting the angiograms. I think I had like around eight, eight or nine angiograms, but you could feel them. You know, they go into your thigh and then they go in through, you know, and they thread into your artery. And um, my arteries were, my arteries were plugged in some places. And basically the doctor uh, had told me that there's a certain window of time that, that, that those arteries, when they're clogged up or you got blockage, there's only a window of time that you got to get that squared away and cleared out. And I think the window is like around three weeks. And here I am running around, you know, eight to 10 weeks, you know, working out, still doing everything and, and just trying to, Man, uh, doctor said you could have had an aneurysm or you could have had a stroke. You know, you could have just checked out, you know, at any point. And, you know, for me, you know, at the time I was 39. And for me, I was like, okay, you know, like, I'm going I'm to get better. I'm, everything's going to work out. But every angiogram that I went through and things weren't, you know, the doctor wasn't hearing blood flow coming through a, what they call a popteal artery underneath your, underneath your knee. Um, Every one of those, man, wasn't, it wasn't waking up my, my arteries. I wasn't getting blood flow down to the foot. Then they did this arterial bypass. Um, no, they did an angioplast. They put like a, they try to blow up your, your artery. So to open up and clear the air, clear the way so for blood to flow through down to the foot. So we did that, that didn't work. And then he does the, he does the arterial bypass. So he, they cut me all the way from my inner thigh, all the way down to the bottom of my foot. So I've got, I don't know how many staples, you know, I come out of surgery. So they take me out of ICU because I'm getting blood flow. I'm in, I'm out of ICU for one day. And then my popliteal artery is like not given, not, not, it's not throwing blood flow down in the foot. So I go back into ICU and then um, my foot starts to die. 
And this is like 11 days after I get in. This is like February 2014, right? I get in and and, and uh, 11 days later, man, after all of that, um, you know, the doctor says, hey, you know, your foot's dying. It, we, there's nothing we can do, blah, blah, blah. Um, we need to amputate. And I had to, you know, I have to give, I have to give consent. So, you know, of course, naturally, you know, I'm, you know, if I got to lose my foot to, to be around and I'm going to do that. Um, and that whole thing was, was sort of surreal because, you know, you're medicated at the time. Um, so, um, you're medicated in terms of the pain, right? So me being a person, that's just go, 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 you know, you know how it is, man, you, you know, as, as our lives and our careers and, you know, being a pro agent, you know, it's, it's a hundred miles and running. You're, you know, you got a hundred things running around in the background and you're used to that. And then you go from that hundred miles an hour to zero. And then your mind starts racing. I've never felt what anxiety felt like before. I had this like panic attack in the hospital and uh, I didn't know what it was. I'm like, why am I, why, why is this happening to me? And basically they told me you're having a panic attack and you know, you're, you're, you're thinking about what's too much in your future. You're thinking about what's ahead of you. And it's, you know, all these racing thoughts that you're having are just, they're just compiling up and it's just snowballing. And that's what's caused, that's what caused the anxiety. I had this anxiety attack and I'm like, all I could think about was, when can I go back to work? When can I get back to my career? Right? Because we get into this career and we see what's at the end of the, at the end of the road, um, is our retirement, you know, um, our medical benefits, taking care of our families and, and, and all of those things. And so I think that was, I was more worried about that than I was about losing the foot. Crazy way to think about it, but how can I get back to work so I can finish my career? And uh, I was just really concerned about that. And, you know, the doctor there, they gave me, they, they were, they gave me a lot of hope. They said, look, we're going to cut you below the knee. Um, it's not above the knee and you're, you know, you're going to be able to go back to work. Okay. And, you know, of course I, I get on the internet and I'm looking at people with below knee amputees and, and those sorts of things. And I see people running and people, you know, so, um, the day of the surgery, the day of the surgery, man, um, it's kind of surreal, you know, they, um, you know, they take me out, they roll me down the hallway and you know what's happening, right? Um, uh, you getting into the surgery room and then, you know, you got to slide over, um, course you know i i want to i want to slide over myself and i'm and i'm looking in the surgery room and i'm still kind of joking around i'm like so where's where's the saw where where are you where's the equipment at i don't see no equipment so i'm asking them where's where's all the gear at where's where's the saw where's and you know the nurses and, and they were just kind of like man you just you know making play of it all the way through to the point where you're going to get your amputation so I remember telling, I remember the last thing I told the anesthesiologist, I said, look, man, just, just bring me back, brother. He goes, no, I got you. All right. He's all, you're going to be all right, man. And, uh, you know, yeah, you know, we did a little countdown and next thing you know, I'm waking up. And as I'm coming out of it, I'm like, okay, I know what's happening. I know what's happened. And uh, I go to lift up my left side of my, where my foot was. 
and my thigh, my, it, it just shot up in the air, man. It was like mm -hmm. super light. And it was just like the weirdest thing. And, um, and I remember just going, waking up and I was like, man, I fucking did it. This is, fucking, you know, this is crazy. You know, this is crazy. It's happened, you know? And, uh, and I was very upbeat about everything, you know, uh, my wife came in, you know, and, uh, you know, we, um, we weren't emotional. You know, I don't think because I was still coming out of it and just kind of um, part of a, like a little bit of machismo in me, you know, just kind of, you know, I wasn't sad or anything like that. I mean, not yet at least, but um, coming out of it, I wasn't feeling like um, worried or scared about anything. I think I was just glad that that, that was over with because those 11 days were pretty painful days just going through that. But I, I remember, I remember calling you. I remember calling you. It was a couple of days afterwards because you, I know how driven you are, and um, I remember calling you a couple of days after the surgery um, because I heard about what happened. And I called you, and you were like, "Hey, what's going on?" And I'm like, "Hi, how you doing?" And you were so upbeat, and you and I, and hey, I just got this surgery, and um, I got to wrap this up and get get rehabbing because I got to get back to work and um, how are you doing? And no matter how much I asked, I was trying to ask you how you were doing. You kept asking me how I was doing and, and making sure that I was okay. But the conversation was always, um, I can't wait, get, get, I want to rehab. I want to get back to work, but I also just, I want to get back to, 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 to um, getting into physical fitness. I'm going to get back into my CrossFit. And I remember saying to myself when I got off the phone, how inspirational that was for me because you were just so, so directed. And how long did it take you to go to the rehab? And what was it like? The Was it difficult to get used to? I know they always talk about the phantom, that phantom yeah. feeling. Is yeah. that is that what you experienced? And how did you stay so focused on your rehab? Yeah, that, that stuff's real, man. Um, yeah, after post-surgery, um, had a lot of visitors and you know, having a lot of visitors was, um, was, was probably not the best thing, you know, although I appreciate everybody coming to visit. Um, I ended up getting a fever, uh, people coming in and out, um, whereas I should have been resting. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, there's, there's a part two to this, this whole process, man. But um, yeah, man, just, you know, they, the, the, the folks who are doing the rehab, they come in right away day after the surgery they want you up and in a walker and um they want you to at least stand and um just that whole thing man you know you, for example i mean you go to the restroom by yourself or you know you don't you don't remember anybody changing your diapers man but you have to go to the bathroom in the bed and you got to have a nurse come and in, in, in help you out you know and that's that's uh that's hard to do man it, it's uh there's a lot of you know, humility and, you know, you take, we take a lot of things for granted until somebody has to help you along the way, you know? And so that drove me to just want to hurry up and get myself, you know, functional again, but, uh, getting in and, um, doing the rehab part, uh, was, was definitely uncomfortable. Um, you know, you know, 
they kept telling me like, be careful, you know, you, you don't, you're moving too fast. You don't want to fall. And I think the, the thing was, they didn't want me to fall. Um, and me, I just want to get up and I want to go. And, um, but you know, you know how, you know, you know what your levels are to, to, to balance and, and those sorts of things. But um, I was in the hospital, I think for another two weeks. And then I went to the, I never went to rehab. Um, and that was another eye opener for me was, was being in the rehab because there are people in there that have far worse scenarios than you, than you do. And that really exposed me to some, some, some things about, you know, I only got my foot amputated. There's other folks in, in this rehab right now that are going through some real, some real things. And I remember um, they were showing me how to use a wheelchair, how to go uphill and, and how to get through, you know, places like you go through some like basic grass and how to get through those things. And my brother-in-law was with me that day and there was, uh, there was a guy that was riding through that area who was like a paraplegic, like neck down. And he can only control the uh, wheelchair with his chin. And he's coming through and he stops. And, um, you know, I don't speak Spanish. I know a little bit of Spanish, but he comes through and he's telling me, he's talking to me in Spanish. And he's like, you know, he basically, my brother-in-law translates for me, but basically what he says is, you know, hey, I know you're like having, uh, I could see you're, you're, you're having a difficult time. He says, but I wish I were you right now. I wish I was in your position right now. Meaning like, I could still use my arms. I could still use my other leg. I could still move. I can, you know, and man, that one hit me like that one, like hit me. And then he took off, man. And my brother-in-law just tripped out on that. He was just like, man. And he's like, you never, you, you know, you don't realize like, you think you got it worse. You think you got it bad, but there are other people out there that got it a hundred times worse than you do. Right. So naturally, you know, I think of, I think of, you know, Folks that are in, are in that position, or I think of you know, you know, our soldiers that went to war and they have to come back, and then they're dealing with A, B, C, and D. You know, not just um, limb loss, but they're dealing with PTSD, the mental aspect of it, and um, and for me to have my foot gone, like I just felt like, you know, what am I bitching and complaining about? You know, or what do I got to, you know? I just felt like I had really no space to feel any pity for myself or sorry, you know, feel sorry for myself, you know? And I just felt like I didn't have that, like, it was almost like I didn't have the right to feel that way about myself because I still had the rest of my abilities to, all, all I had to do was be patient and wait for that prosthetic leg to come and start walking again. And I think that was the most difficult part. Of course, you know, you lose your limb and, you know, you're, you have to equate that to, I would say, you know, maybe a family member dying or somebody passing away and you going through a grieving process. Um, that's pretty much what I went through. And I went through this grieving process and it, and it, and it, and it went in spurts, you know, a breakdown, but then I would, and and honestly, man, I don't know what I would, I would break down about. Like maybe just because of the patience part of it. I was just like, man, I want to get up and go already. You know, and just being like, like you're trapped. You can't go anywhere. You can't do this yet. You need to wait. 
And this experience has taught me a lot about being patient and learning how to slow down because some of us just don't know how or want to slow down. We just want to go. And, you know, uh, you know, some of us are just built that way or conditioned that way. But, uh, but yeah, man, it felt like, it felt like maybe somebody had passed away, you know, and, and you lost, you, you lose a limb and you're, you know, you're grieving that process. But at the same time, you know, it was like, you know, there's a lot of self-talk involved in the process, you know, and you know, like any athlete does or anybody that's doing something very difficult, uh, you're in the military, you're, you're doing something very difficult. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, right? But you're doing something very difficult and there's a lot of self-talk that has to happen. You try to motivate yourself to climb out of it because nobody else around to motivate you when you, when, when all the motivators are in bed and they're asleep and they're trying to, when, when it's just you, you know, my self-talk was, more along the lines like you know you know quit acting like a little bitch stop being a bitch get up you know stop feeling fucking sorry for yourself let's go like that was like my self-talk you know was um was really kind of just hammering down on myself to reach my goal of getting back to my career and getting back to the flow of my life so what, so when you got your prosthetic leg, how mm -hmm. long does it take you? So you're exercising, you're, you're trying to stay in shape and you're learning all these things. And then when you got the prosthetic leg, how long did it take you to, to get back to sports and just, what was the time period between you going back to work? What was the rehab time for you? And I know you were so motivated. I mean, I know you're really in your, your workout again and you're like Mr. Fitness Guru again. But um, and you're you're super involved with your job. How long did it take you once you got your prosthetic leg um, to get used oh, yeah. to that? Oh yeah, I didn't wait. Um, uh, when I got home, um, I had a walker, and um, I was using the walker to do dips, and uh, I was doing dips on the walker, and I was um, I had a place in my living room where I had like two couches, and I had like a little like a little like almost like a little you know, like one person can fit in there. I rolled my yoga mat out and um, I was like, okay, I need to, I need to try doing these burpees, right? With one leg. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm just going to do about 10 of them. Let me see what happens, you know? So I go down do my first burpee, one-legged burpee. I'm like, okay, this is pretty, you know, I end up doing like 30 of them, right? Just, just to keep it even. I, I do like 30 of them. Um, I have an ab roller. Um, I could do sit-ups, I have rubber bands, and things are very, um, the tools I used uh, in the beginning were very basic. You know, I can um, use my walker, my wheelchair, I can get into my garage, I have a gym in my garage. Um, I have pull-up bars, I got uh, rubber bands where I could hold myself up and, and use the rubber bands to, to do, um, you know, squats, you know, um, pistol squats, uh, those sorts of things. I have kettlebells, I have my wheelchair, um, I could do curls and I could just really, I kind of created my own little fitness regimen. And I think during, during that time with the doctor, what the doctor told me eventually was cause I was having a very difficult time sleeping. And although you don't feel depressed, um, I was going through depression, but my depression, my version of depression was I wasn't able to sleep. And, um, you know, 
when you're on painkillers, when you're on Oxycontin, when you're on, you know, all these, uh, this regimen, this cocktail of medications that kind of help you with the pain, you don't want to be on that stuff anymore. You want to, you want to come off that stuff on and as quick as possible. Cause you know, you know what it does to your body, you know, what it does to, um, I just was working out because I wanted to get to sleep. I wanted to get a good night's sleep and I wanted to work out to the point where I was just body was just fatigued, exhausted. And, um, when I finally got the prosthetic leg, it was a test socket kind of looks like glass. It's see-through it's, it's, um, they call them test sockets because there's a, there's a sculpture factor that that's involved. They don't just laser scan your stump and, and there's, there's some, organic things that have to happen. The, the prosthetic clinician is more like a sculpture, um, is, is artistic on, on, a, on a level where they need to know where your pressure points are, where you're feeling the pain, where you're, and that test socket is, is meant to be um, heated and, and molded down before you get your final socket. And um, I got that test socket, man. Uh, I walked out of that place. I walked out of there and we went to Jamba Juice. And, yeah, uh, that, that, that's, that's I was so happy, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it hurt, I, man. <laughs> that's a person I know. And then how long did it take you to get back to work? How long were you, how long were you gone? Yeah. So I was out. Um, this is what, this is what really got me, man, was um, I was out February, 2014 and I got back and, and, and I came back to work. I think it was May of 2015, uh, February, March, April, May. So what's that? 15 months. So 15 months, but here's what got me, man. When our bodies are trying to heal and we get older, our bodies won't allow us to do what they, what we want it to do mentally. Your body will heal and your body will be ready when it's ready. And during that process, man, I thought I'd be back to work in, you know, four to six months. I was like, okay, cause I'm watching videos, man. I'm like, oh shoot, man, they got, they got cut. You got the socket, they're back on the, you know, I'm ready to roll. The patients, um, but aside from the patients, my stump ended up getting infected. So what I didn't know before this, and you know, if anybody listening about, you know, they're, you know, when they're, they've never been in a situation where you've been in the hospital and don't trust your doctors, man. You know, my doctor, I was out here in Monterey County. I went to the hospital here in Monterey County. Um, my doctor never said, Hey, I know some specialists at UCSF. I know some specialists at Stanford that could probably solve this problem. This is too much for us to handle out here. We're going to send you on the ambulance and, and send you, this is out of our wheelhouse that never happened. And I could be angry about it, but my foot was already gone at that point. Right. I was like, it's gone. What am I going to, what am I going to cry about? Right. But after learning about this um and then going through the infection part of it like when they when they cut you they they, they cut your they cut your foot down off or they, they when they amputate they have to leave a layer of skin under and what they do they close it up with this flap and it closes like that and that's why you see like a scar there you know and, and so they, they have to flap it closed so that flap didn't um mend to the skin and they stapled it up didn't heal and it started to go black, started to erode. You could see my bone popping out of my, my stump. It got really ugly, man. And um, 
I have a cousin who's San Francisco PD, and he introduced me to a guy um, named Detective uh, Eric Batchfield. And Eric Batchfield was um, was in a uh, accident for uh, a motorcycle accident with San Francisco PD. Uh, interesting guy, man. And uh, he had his lower right foot amputated, and he came back to San Francisco PD. Right, so my cousin introduced me to him over the phone and we started talking and I was telling him what was going on with my infection. And we, you know, we had quite a bit of conversations, man. And this guy really kind of motivated me like, hey, I see that there, this guy's back, this guy's back to his grind, I can get back to mine. And uh, um, Eric was graceful enough to like, refer me to his specialists of doctors that helped him because he had so many revision surgeries because his wasn't a clean cut. His was an, a motorcycle accident, which required um, surgeries and revisions and, and so on and so forth. So they were gonna amputate me. I was like a couple of weeks away from a second amputation. They were gonna amputate above the knee. Had I not talked to um, Eric Batchfield in time, I would have never got to his specialist and um, I would have been an above the knee amputee if, if this, you know, this introduction wouldn't have happened. So I end up at San Francisco and um, I'm there. They do a surgery on me, a revision surgery. They put me, they put a team of doctors on me. They put like a bone specialist, a blood specialist, a plastic surgeon. Um, there were like four doctors. And uh, man, I tell you, man, these guys are like the dream team up there. I mean, they got the best doctors in the world in San Francisco and at Stanford, man. I mean, we're very so, lucky that we have this in our backyard. So let, me, ahead, let me tell you this. Right, we have to wrap up in a few minutes, but I have to tell you, yeah. Art, mm -hmm. I, you are such an inspirational person because when I saw you uh, return to work one day, I remember you were just wearing your, you know, your gear and you came up to me and you were walking, walking, almost running. To yeah. say hi to me and he was, <laughs> i said you good you're like man i'm good to go and you're back yeah. to your work you're back to your workouts back to your fitness routine yeah totally into your kids activities and i just want to tell you your, your story is so inspirational for all for me and everybody that knows you and like i said i've been wanting to have you on here you know prior with as this podcast was just something in my mind and i just want to thank you so much for being here and um I'm going to ask you this one real quick question. Oh, you're um, welcome, Martin. Uh, what do you want to be remembered for in your life? You know, I, I just, that's a good question. You know, I want, I want to be looked at as somebody who worked hard, somebody who loved his family, you know, um, um, you know, and, and the person that, you know, uh, you know, developed, you know, positive relationships around people you know, and left an impact on their life in some sort of way, right? That's, you know, there's, there's a quote I use in my emails. It's like, we exist for the impact that we have on each other. And that's one of my uh, favorite quotes. Well, that, well, Art, that's what you do for me. And I want to thank you so <laughs> much for being here. And, you know, thank you for, oh, I know this is a, uh, you're so upbeat and thank you for just, uh, re, you know, expressing and telling us your story and the things that you went through. And I want to thank my producer, Brian, and thank you hey, all Brian. for listening. And if you like the podcast, we'll have a wonderful guest next week as well. And, you know, give it a thumbs up on uh, Spotify and Apple. And, uh, yeah, it's on all the platforms. And thank you so much for being here. 
Uh, Art, thank you so much for your uh, just your courage. Thank and, you, Mark. And, and your resilience, my friend. Take care. Yeah, man. Hey, thanks, man. Take care of yourself.